Well, howdy! This podcast is a proud member of the PodCon Go Network. PodCon Go. Family-friendly shows that are fun for everyone. Welcome to Elderberry Tales. Cut yourself a slice of seed cake. It's time for a story. Today's story is The Chukar Caper, Part 3, by William Stair. All right, this is Part 3, the final part of a three-part story. So make sure that you have listened to Parts 1 and 2 before you begin to listen to this one. The next morning, Trooper's human family woke late and with headaches all around. Despite that, they rushed off to work, school, and errands. Trooper had the house to himself. About mid-morning, the three dogs that, with Trooper, made up the four, gathered once again in Trooper's back garden. After the obligatory sniffing, Trooper began. Yesterday, with the assistance of my man, I investigated the source of that mechanical bird we caught earlier. Theo stuck out his chest. Now that killing the mechanical bird was recognized as a good thing, he was proud. There is a strange woman down the street who has a flock of them in her back garden. What she uses them for is yet to be determined. Another small item, my trusted irregular, Jock, tells me that the number of wild animals in the nearby forested areas is down, specifically the coyotes. This bears investigation as well. Finally, my woman mentioned that the raccoons in the park have not been as active as usual, and she saw a coppery bird at the park, too. Hmm, muttered Overton. All very suspicious. I propose we go to the park and investigate. By the way, where did you hide the remains of that bird? There may be clues there we didn't notice before. That is a problem. I checked this morning, and the thing is gone. Sacre bleu! cried Max. Could it have flown away? No chance of that. Overton squashed it beyond repair when he sat on it. There was a noise in the garden last night, but my humans were sound asleep, and I couldn't get out to investigate until this morning. By then it was too late. I think the humans were drugged with a seed cake the strange woman gave them, just so the property could be searched without interruption. Sacre bleu! cried Max again. I think we must search the park to see what is going on. Perhaps the good Theo can catch another bird for us. And so they were off. It was a bright day, and the sun made the sidewalk hot. It took a while to get the several blocks to the park, as there were numerous trees and fire hydrants along the way. But eventually, paw pads sore from the hot concrete of the sidewalks, they got there. As they arrived, frantic barking drew their attention, and Jock, the irregular, came running up. Ah, oh, laddies, your blessed scent. I need help. 
My man went out collecting cans and bottles in the park, and he's not yet come back. He's never gone from our tent so long. Help me find me wee Jamie, will ye? The four quickly agreed and followed Jock further into the forested park. Where did he go? asked Theo. Into the Valley of Fear, little one, Jock replied. The Valley of Fear? asked Overton. Aye, at least that's what we canines call it. It's a spot where the wee barren humans like to go for silliness, so there are always lots of bottles and cans there. Good pickings for making a bit of change. But lately, stranger things have been going on there. Odd noises and foul odors. We don't go there, but our humans are too daft to sense the danger. The forest, aside from the noise of cars on the nearby roads, was strangely quiet. After a while, the ground rose on both sides, and they entered a narrow ravine. We've arrived, announced Jock quietly. Hardly a valley, huffed Overton. More like a deep ditch. Aye, but valley is more picturesque, don't you think? Jock replied with a wink. Trooper took the lead as the five walked single file into the valley. When it rains, a great flood comes through here and down to the lake beyond the woods, offered Jock. There was a lot of garbage scattered around, but no cans or bottles. See, picked clean, said Jock. Not exactly clean, replied Overton, nudging a heap of filthy cloth. Then Trooper paused. There's an opening ahead. Maybe a cave or some other sort of hole? Be careful. They continued forward. Suddenly, there was a rustling in the brush to the side of where we were walking, and one of the coppery birds flew out. It circled over them a few times and then flew away. A sentry, said Overton. We are being observed. They continued on until they came to an opening. It was a culvert, a big pipe that goes under a road and allows water to flow from one side to the other. Trooper realized they had traveled through the park to the main road that passed by. This culvert ran under it. Tis a grand cave, right? Whispered Josh. No, it's a drainage tunnel. That's why when it rains a lot, water comes flooding down, explained Trooper. What's that? What's that? asked Theo with a high-pitched yelp. Extending out of the darkness of the culvert were two human legs, clothed in filthy, ragged pants. Nearby was a plastic bag with a few cans and bottles inside. It's me wee bairn of a man, me Jamie, cried Jock, rushing forward. He sniffed over the legs and body beyond, and then, with a mournful whine, announced the man was dead. At almost the same moment, Max cocked an ear and sniffed the air. Quelque chose arrive. Something is coming this way, he whispered. Deep in the darkness of the culvert, two red dots appeared. They began moving forward, or at least getting larger. The stench of sulfur filled the air. My lord, smells like a human's diaper, exclaimed Overton. 
Then the rumble of a deep growl from a deeper throat began echoing from the culvert. Run for it, lads, cried Jock, and they all took off in different directions. Meet back at the park entrance, called Trooper, as he ran up the side of the ravine. It was almost an hour before the five had regathered. Jock was the last to arrive. I slipped back to see about me wee man, but his body was gone. I guess the beast dragged it into its lair, poor fellow. Now you know why we call it the Valley of Fear. True enough, Jock, replied Trooper. However, there were some strange birds flying around back there, and from what we know of them, we think some bad business is going on. This is no ordinary beast in the culvert, perhaps not a beast at all. I believe something is hidden there, and we mean to find out what. Just then, a bunch of red-headed human kids came running up. Trooper! Trooper! They cried. With them were their mother and grandfather. Why, Trooper, what are you doing here? Is Daddy with you? Asked the mother, looking around. You're off leash and far from home. We can't have that. And with that, she took hold of his collar, and the whole family pulled the unwilling trooper to their car and drove off with him. How humiliating, said Theo. Take him down a peg or two, added Overton. I've told him again and again that that whole pack needed obedience training. The dogs slowly walked out of the park and made their ways home. Overhead, a coppery chew car eyed them curiously, its mechanical body whirring softly. Then it rose into the air and headed for Mrs. Coronet's. If the dogs had gone back to the Valley of Fear, they might have witnessed a terrifying thing. Deep inside the culvert that ran under the street, a fearsome creature, all scales and claws, was dragging the body of Jock's wee man far into the darkness. There was a spot where the metal of the culvert had been torn and bent, opening into a natural tunnel that sloped downward. The creature growled softly as it pulled the body behind it, going deeper into the ground. After a dozen yards, the tunnel opened out into a natural cave. There was an underground stream whose waters flowed into the nearby lake. Its waters lapped softly against the rocky walls. The monster pulled the man into the water and swam across to the far side where there was a shelf of dry rock. The bones of various animals, coyotes, deer, and smaller things were strewn about. To these would be added the bones of a human. As far back from the water as possible was a nest built of rocks, mud, and lined with the scraps of cloth and fur from the creature's victims. Nestled deep in this soft lining were three large blue eggs. The creature approached its nest and ever so gently turned the eggs, then settled alongside the nest to devour its prey. As it did, little sounds came from the eggs, as if they were eager to join in the meal. 
one showed the first signs of cracking open. Meanwhile, the Chukars returned to their roosts behind Mrs. Coronet's house. She hobbled out of her back door, and taking each one in turn, inserted a small electrical cable into its beak. This cable, attached to a tablet screen, allowed her to see whatever the mechanical bird had seen as it flew about. Ah, she said, as the screen showed her the four dogs in the park, the tragic death of the wee man, and the scaly creature that first killed him, then drew him into the culvert. She chuckled as she saw the dogs run at the mere sight of the creature's eyes. There be dragons here, just as I thought, she said in a soft, purring voice. She unplugged the last bird and used the tablet to program new instructions into them. The dogs were a threat, and she'd have to keep a close eye, or rather, several sets of eyes, on them. Further, she had no view of what was deep inside the culvert. That was a problem that she would correct. At the push of a button, she sent one of her mechanical flyers back toward the park, and whatever lair lay beyond the culvert. The weekend passed without further news. There was no report of a dead body being found at the park, at least not in the human Sunday paper. The next day, Monday, was overcast and cool. Fall had been long and mild, but now winter was on its way, and the leaves on a few trees were even changing color. The humans had no work or school because it was a holiday. They called it Veterans Day, a day on which they honored the memories of their fellows who had died in battle against other humans. The whole family had gone to watch a big parade downtown, followed by fireworks in the evening. The dogs had their own holiday, St. Bernard's Day, on which they celebrated the memory of a noble Swiss dog who'd braved his life to save foolish humans trapped amid mountain snow. Plus, the brandy he carried in a little barrel under his neck was always welcome. To celebrate the day, Max, Theo, and even Overton were on their way and would arrive soon. Thank heaven for the invention of credit cards and Uber. The dogs could use their servants' computers and credit card numbers to order rides from their homes to troopers. And when the bills arrived, no human would blame a dumb dog. Before long, the four friends were gathered together, and Overton, the keeper of the ceremonial barrel, was pouring a small bowl of brandy for each. Ah, c'est la vie! shouted Max. This is the life. Yes, to life, the other three responded. They each lapped a bit of brandy. Have we any news on Jock and his deceased manservant? asked Theo. No, the poor fellow. He seemed devoted to that man. Perhaps we should have invited him to spend the afternoon with us, suggested Trooper. Je n'ai idée. I have an idea exclaimed Max. Why don't we strap the barrel back on Overton and all go down to the camp to ask Josh to join us? Everyone agreed, and so off they went. 
It took only a short time to pad to the wooded area that sheltered the homeless encampment and the tattered blue tent where Josh lived. He was inside, head resting on his forepaws and eyes moist with unhappiness. We can't bring back your manservant, but we can spend part of the holiday with you, said Trooper. And we've brought some cheer in honor of St. Bernard, added Overton. Bless you, laddies, to think of me in my time of loss. If only me Jamie had had such care when he was alive, we might never have ended up like this. The dogs looked over the poor belongings gathered in the tattered shelter and wondered about the condition of the other dogs and men who inhabited similar nearby tents. Each heart was grateful for their blessings at that moment. Overton removed the brandy barrel from around his neck and passed it around. For a while, sad memories were forgotten as they sang songs learned long ago in their puppyhood. To the humans in the nearby tents, it was an infernal howling. But the dogs, who were their only companions, knew better, and a few even joined in. But then, as the afternoon slid into evening, Jock remembered how his wee man would come back to the poor tent with the few coins he'd either begged or made collecting cans. I've got to go back to where he spent his last moments, he whined. The other dogs were wary of such a pilgrimage, what with the unknown threat and the fading light. But Jock was adamant, and they couldn't let him go alone. Overton strapped on the barrel, now lighter with half its contents drained, and the five set off in the fading sunlight. The men in their tents said silent, thank yous, for the end of the howling. As the gray of the sky shifted darker, the five made their way back to the Valley of Fear, and then on to the culvert. But before they reached it, a humming sound could be heard. Trooper signaled for them to stop, and then silently crept ahead. What he saw was startling. At the mouth of the culvert, a flock of chukars hovered in the air, as if they were hummingbirds rather than partridges. Four of the mechanical creatures had what looked like a net hanging from their feet. Two more suddenly turned on small but powerful lights built into their bodies, and slowly proceeded into the culvert, disappearing about halfway back the four with the net waited, hovering in place. Trooper turned and made his way back to the other four, telling them what he'd seen. Then the sound of the bird's wings changed, and he crept back to his vantage point. He could see the bright light of one of the advanced chukars reappear in the culvert, flash several times, followed by the four with the net advancing into the darkness. In seconds, all had disappeared and the culvert was silent. Trooper again returned to the others. The game's afoot, he whispered. Those mechanical birds have gone into the culvert and disappeared. They're up to something. We should investigate. <laughs> replied Overton. That's the spot where we saw those red eyes in the dark. Too dangerous, in my opinion but I love investigating dark places. There are always lots of choice rats to be found there. I say we go. There are five of us, after all, 
replied Theo in opposition. He licked his lips in anticipation. A vote was taken, with only Overton opposed. Despite that, he would not leave his friends. After all, he was as big and powerful as the other four combined. It only took a few moments to reach the mouth of the ominous culvert. All was silent, with not a Chukar in sight. I'll take the lead in honor of me, Jamie, announced Jock, and no one disagreed. Single file, the dogs entered the culvert. About 30 feet in, Jock turned to those behind him. I see an opening up ahead on the left, he whispered. And I smell something most foul, added Theo, wrinkling his nose. They continued on until Jock came to the opening. His excellent hearing picked up a distant chukar humming as he stepped through the hole ripped in the metal of the culvert and onto the rocky soil beyond. Down the dogs walked, the smell and the sound growing stronger until the tunnel opened out into a large, low cave. There should have been no light here at all, but there was the light from the two chukars, which hovered just below the roof of the cave on the far side of what looked like a wide stream. The dogs lined up on the near side, silent as ghosts. The four chukars with the net were hovering over a shallow bowl made of rocks and lined with pieces of cloth. It was a nest. The two with lights carefully picked up something from the nest and set it in the net. Then they picked up another. Suddenly, a deafening roar filled the cave, and Jock threw himself into the water. He had spotted the remains of his Jamie's jacket, now part of the nest lining. The Chukars responded instantly. One of the lighted ones flew along the cave's roof toward the tunnel, followed closely by the four with their loaded net. The remaining Chukar began dive-bombing the four dogs on the bank, while Jock swam furiously across to the nest. Pinned down by the attacking Chukar, the four friends on the far bank were powerless to prevent the Chukars from escaping with their prize, whatever it was. However, Overton, with a lucky lunge, was soon able to bring down the remaining bird. Even he was surprised by his success. Fortunately, the light set in its breast continued to burn, illuminating the cavern. But now, several things happened in quick succession. Jock reached the far shore and let out a howl of misery. Tis me wee Jamie's jacket for sure, used to line this miserable nest. He leapt into the nest, growling and clawing. A second sound, high-pitched and angry, came from the nest for a moment, then stopped. Josh reappeared, his jaws wet with something dark. There was a demon's baby here, hatched from a blue egg. It will feast on the flesh of the innocent no more, he cried. Egg? Then that must be what the birds took from the nest. Two eggs. But what kind? Josh, why do you call whatever you have a demon's baby? All claws, scales, teeth, and tiny wings? What would you call it? came his response. Mon Dieu, that sounds like a dragon, cried Max. Too late, too late, hissed a tinny voice from the downed Chukar. 
insufficient cranial development has always been the weakness of you dogs. However, you have discovered one thing, your own tomb. Rest in pieces. <laughs> Overton put one huge paw on the now silent bird, and it split open to reveal a bomb. Chuck, get back here quick, barked Trooper. Jock leapt into the water and began dog paddling furiously back toward his friends. But before he got even halfway, the water behind him began surging and swirling. Then a huge creature burst through the surface. It was the mama dragon. She had a large fish clamped in her powerful jaws. Lumbering onto the far bank, she took one look at the wreckage in her nest and let out a terrible shriek of misery and fury. Spying Jock paddling, she turned with a roar and dove back into the water. By the time Jock scrambled out by his friends, she was only yards away. Run, shouted Max. The dogs made it to the mouth of the tunnel before Trooper realized Max was not with them. Turning back, he saw the poodle grasp the Chukar bomb in his teeth and leap at the dragon, which grabbed Max in her jaws and plunged into the water. Instantly, the light was gone. The four made their way to the culvert and then out into the Valley of Fear, just as a rumbling earthquake struck from below. The whole area of the culvert and the road above it collapsed into a great pit made by the destruction of the cave. Where's Max? Asked Theo, looking around. Where we all would have been. Max grabbed the bomb and held off the dragon while we escaped, replied Trooper. A stunned silence came over the four. We'd better go home, said Overton finally. No, our work is not done. I know where those birds took the dragon eggs, and we need to run fast to prevent some terrible evil. We must do it for Max. Each of the other dogs quietly echoed the last two words. For Max. Then they were off at a run, following Trooper. It didn't take them long to arrive at the tall, narrow house set far back from the road, Overton was desperately out of breath, but gasped, Whose house is this? We shall soon see, replied Trooper. The dogs made their way across the front yard and around to the back. By now, the clouds had cleared and the moon was up. Trooper could see there were no chukars in their coop. He led the way to the back door, which was conveniently unlocked, saving Overton the trouble of breaking it down. They were in the kitchen, which was dark and smelled of recent cooking. Voices came from somewhere in the house, but where? Then they realized the sound came from below, from the basement. A little sniffing soon led them to a door in the hallway. Opening it carefully, they could hear a news report on a television. And caused considerable damage to the Uptown Expressway, Rygate Boulevard at a point where it passes Bascombe Park. Emergency crews on the scene report that a large sinkhole, probably caused by an underground stream running into Lake Musgrave, has swallowed up a section of the road, closing it completely. 
Our reporter, Charles Milverton, is at the scene with a city engineer. A drawn-out sigh of satisfaction, evidently not from the TV, was heard. So much for those interfering mutts, someone hissed. The television report continued. Yes, as you can see, there is a great expanse of the roadway simply dropped out of sight. I'm here with Francis Carfax, city engineer. Can you tell us what happened here, Miss Carfax? Well, it's a bit of a puzzle. A Rygate puzzle, I guess you could call it, as to how this catastrophic failure could occur without warning. Look at this map. She unfolded a map which showed various drainage patterns in the vicinity of Boscombe Park. As you can see, there was once a stream that ran through the area right about here and down into Lake Musgrave. The television camera showed the map, but the engineer's thumb was in the way of the part where the underground stream was. Idiots, hissed the voice from the basement. The dogs ignored the rest of the report and crept down the basement steps. What they beheld took their breath away, for three of them had experienced it before. The basement room was all decorated in scarlet. Scarlet chairs, scarlet bookcases, scarlet desk, scarlet brick fireplace, even a scarlet TV mounted on the scarlet wall. Seated in a scarlet rocking chair in front of the television was none other than Mrs. Beryl Coronet. Just then, Overton placed his one-eighth of a ton on a loose step. Creak. Mrs. Coronet turned her head with a sudden jerk. Those large eyes peered out through the magnifying lenses of her glasses. You! You should all be dead! Crushed under the ruins of the roadway! She hissed. How did you escape my bomb? Elementary, my dear Meow Yarty, shouted Trooper. We were saved by the love and bravery of Max, who sacrificed himself, and for whose death you shall pay. The figure rose from the rocking chair and cast off the dress, floppy hat, glasses, and fake nose. It was all a disguise. Beneath the exterior of an old woman, was the shockingly broken body of the Napoleon of crime, Professor Miauiarti. Pay? We shall see about that. Miauiarti reached for a remote control. Theo jumped from the steps, teeth bared, a deep growl coming from his throat. I've cornered a rat at last, he said through gnashing teeth. I'm only going to shut off the droning of those television imbeciles, said the professor, as the TV went silent. I thought you'd escaped after your fall in the ruins of Baskerville Hall, said Trooper, but you'll not escape this time. You made me pay dearly for that adventure, hissed Meowyarty. But soon I will be restored. Restored to prison, you miserable rascal, shouted Jock. Who's your low-life friend, Trooper? taunted the cat. Don't you wonder why my marvelous Chukars stole those dragon eggs? 
They are the main ingredient of a restorative elixir, which I've just finished eating. As usual, you are just too late. He pointed to a plate with what appeared to be fragments of scrambled egg on it. By tomorrow morning, I'll be fully restored. And speaking of Chukars, he pressed another button on the control, and from beneath the steps on which the dog stood, the Chukars flew out. I think I'll use the Santa Claus escape, laughed the Napoleon of crime. He pressed another button, and the circling birds descended on him, grabbing him, and as he laid a finger aside of his nose, flew to the fireplace with him. Theo rushed after them and managed to grab the evil cat's slipper, but it came away, along with a mechanical leg, landing with a metallic clank on the hearth. The laughter of the escaping professor echoed down the chimney. You're welcome to that souvenir. By tomorrow, my leg will be fully restored. The city humans never did figure out what was under the highway that collapsed. However, Trooper never gave up hope that somehow Max had survived. Every day he prowled the copper beaches of the lake, hoping to find something released by the underground stream. His friends called it his Musgrave ritual. He did find that piece of paper from the capsule on that first Chukar's leg. What they thought was a code turned out to be Chinese. Instructions on how to operate the mechanical birds. If he ever ran across them again, he would be prepared. Overton went back to his life of ease and excellent food. Jock found a new homeless human who needed guidance and support. Theo went back to his regular life, too. Although some nights, in his sleep, he would yap and snap at that biggest of rats that got away. Until next time. Oh my goodness, that was a long one. And quite a lot of action, too. I hope it wasn't too scary for you, all those parts about the dragon. And I hope it wasn't too sad when Max died. He was a very brave dog. He died saving his friends. That's something that we can admire. We'll miss you, Max. Thanks again to William Stair, who wrote this story and so many more, so that I would always have plenty of material to bring to you here at Elderberry Tales. And thanks to you for listening to Elderberry Tales. I'll be back before too long. I have a special story that I want to share with you about a little puppy. And then after that, there will be more stories about the dog detectives. After all, we need to find out what Meowriarty gets up to next. <laughs>